together for the gospel. Yeah, thank you for that. That's a good clarification. Together for the, I've just made that announcement for the last three or four weeks, so I was kind of just trying to briefly drop it. But together for the gospel conference in Louisville in April, early enrollment is I think to the middle of November, probably the next week or so. So if you want to go, be good. It's a little cheaper. If you decide later that you want to go, you can still go. It's just going to cost you thirty or forty dollars more, or twenty dollars more, or something like that. So, okay, the reading of the word. From 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food, foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. You may be seated. On January 1st, 1997... Multnomah Books released a book that would become a major Christian movement called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. <clears throat> now, I've already got some of your attentions just by mentioning the title, don't I? In the book, the author, Joshua Harris, explored the problems with the concept of modern-day dating and proposed a more courtship-driven model that promoted group activities and supervised time together for a would-be young couple, incorporating parents in the process of their time together. The book was a huge success and propelled Harris into the limelight of Christian celebrity, which is a thing that exists, sadly, by the way. Now, fast forward to July of 2019. In a series of interviews and media appearances and social media posts, Joshua Harris announced that he regretted the book and the resulting fanfare about it. He actually made a documentary talking about how he kissed, I kissed, dating goodbye. And he also announced that he and his wife of 21 years were separated and planned to divorce. And he also explained that he was no longer a Christian. I quote him from a USA Today interview. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. He also added, many people tell me that there's a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. Harris is one of many from that era of Christian celebrity culture to announce that they didn't believe anymore. Songwriter Marty Sampson of Hillsong United, Dave Gass, a pastor of 20-plus years, Paul Maxwell, a writer, a former writer uh, for John Piper's Desiring God Ministry, John Steingard, who was the front man for the Christian band Hawk Nelson, entertainers Rhett and Link, and others, including Kevin Max from DC Talk, who posted on social media that he had been deconstructing his faith for decades and called himself a, quote, ex-evangelical for further emphasis. Follow that hashtag. Actually, don't. It's probably not a good idea. 
A common refrain among these deconstructors and ex-evangelicals is that after a long period of time of evaluation and deliberation, they find that their former faith is no longer for them. I mentioned Marty Sampson from Hillsong United. He said this on his social media post. This is a soapbox moment, so here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send 4 billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people. But it's not for me. End of quote. Indeed. We ain't playing this morning, y'all. Hopefully we never are. But this ain't funny. This ain't cute. Today we're going to explore this phenomenon that is being called deconstruction. And we're going to explore it through a 2,000 year old letter. Written by Paul to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 5 which we'll just read. And we will start as we should with verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Mm. Again, that's just a punch in the face right there, isn't it? I mean, that'll grab your attention. So here we are starting the fourth chapter of this book. 1 Timothy, getting into the second half of the letter, six chapters, so now we're on the back end. And I had said last week that some tougher things were coming, and here we are, right? This five-verse section is a pretty tough, pretty specific exhortation to Timothy about things going on there in Ephesus. And it seems that there are people leaving the faith. Kind of sounds pertinent and familiar, right? Listen, the Bible is always relevant and applicable. The Bible is always pertinent in all times, in all places, in all settings. And verse 1 starts with the word now. It's kind of an okay, pay attention kind of word. We've talked about some things now. We're either going to focus in or change our focus. And the now here is now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. So Paul is turning Timothy's attention to something the Spirit, and our, our, our English version has a capital S there, which means that it refers to the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, the third person within the Trinitarian God, one God, three persons. So Paul's turning Timothy's attention to something the Holy Spirit has said. And actually, he says, has expressly said. Expressly means explicitly, plainly, in an outright manner. You don't have to try to look for hidden meaning to reach this conclusion. It's expressly said. I expressly have said, I hate peas, y'all. And whoever got me that give peas a chance thing for pastor's appreciation last week, thank you. That's, that's funny. 
So something is expressly said. And what is expressly said is that there was a time coming in later times, not the last times. Now keep that in mind. Later times here does not mean the last times. Later after it was said is what it means, okay? A later time than when the Spirit said it. In a time after the Spirit said it, some will depart from the faith. Now, there's no scripture where it says, Thus saith the Lord, some will depart from the faith. But we can see things. We can see uh, God saying some are going to fall away, some have fallen away through the Old Testament. We see in Matthew 24, Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. That's echoed in Mark 13. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, and this is talking about the end times, and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. It's not possible, praise God. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. And Paul says similar things in other letters that he writes, and and we see a mass falling away in the end times. Again, the end times, not a later time, but in the end times we see a mass falling away, a great apostasy leading up to the Antichrist and what Paul calls a rebellion in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4. Let no one deceive you in any way, Paul says, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Many, many, many will be led astray. There'll be a falling away. The man of lawlessness will be revealed and then he will deceive sitting in the very seat in the temple of God. So that's coming. And Paul is saying back here in 1 Timothy to Timothy that in later times, the Spirit has expressly said, there will be people who fall away. There will be people who depart from the faith. And while Paul didn't write this thinking, well, this will be in the Bible. He did know that his doctrine and teaching were divinely inspired. So when he says the Spirit expressly says, he's basically saying even now the Spirit is expressly saying that this is going to happen. And again, this later time in 1 Timothy 4 is not the end times. Don't get them mixed up even though I've mixed my metaphors here with the Scriptures. What's happening here about what the Spirit expressly said would happen after the Spirit expressly said it is happening in Paul and Timothy's world, in their day, there in Ephesus. There are people falling away. There are people departing from the faith. And again, we use the word apostasy to describe departing from the faith. The Greek definition for will depart, this is important. Aphistami, aphistami, aphistami. Fifteen times in the New Testament it's used. Depart, draw away, fall away, refrain, withdraw, self, depart from. To make, stand off, cause to withdraw, to remove, to excite, to revolt. To stand off, to stand aloof, to go away, to depart from anyone. To desert, to withdraw from one, to fall away, to become faithless. To shun, flee from, to cease to vex one, to withdraw oneself from, to fall away, to keep oneself from, absent oneself from. Now there's a lot there, but I want you to note an emphasis here. It's a person choosing to withdraw from. A person choosing to remove themselves from, to go away from. John MacArthur says it this way. 
All of this discussion really refers to a single word, and that is the word apostate. An apostate is someone, listen, who departs from the faith they know, the faith they understand, and the faith which they previously affirmed. An apostate is not someone who never knew, but someone who knew. Not someone who never believed, but someone who even on the outside believed. Not someone who never behaved, but someone who once behaved according to the revelation of God. But because the heart was never in it, because they never really knew God, and I would add, or were known by God, They were lured away by the siren voices of the demons behind the idols and false religious systems. They were led, MacArthur ends, it says in verse 1, by seducing spirits and the doctrines of demons to depart from the faith. At the end of that quote... He points back to Paul's statement in 1 Timothy 4.1 that these people chose to withdraw, chose to remove themselves because they followed seducing spirits and teachings of demons. Now note that in the verse and in the quote. Departing from the faith is seen by people devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. Devoting themselves to teachings of demons. Lies and false teachings. Twisting of the doctrines. And so this again brings into focus and to the front and center what? The doctrine. The doctrine. There's nothing more important than getting the doctrine right. And I spent so much of my early adulthood Christianity dismissing the doctrine. Because doctrine divides. That's what I would say. I don't need doctrine, I just need Jesus. I said these things as a preacher, as a teacher of the Bible, to my shame and my great regret. There's nothing more important than getting the doctrine right. Paul had warned Timothy of those teachers in Ephesus who were failing here back in 1 Timothy 1. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons, and I'm sure Timothy knew who those persons were, charge them not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations. Boy, there's a word rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Now it's obvious that these teachers, straying from the pure, right doctrine, are even now, as Paul writes this to Timothy, leading people away from the faith. Standing in the pulpit, leading people away from the faith. No, they probably didn't have a pulpit, by the way. And while those leaving are leaving of their own choice, the teachings they were following out the door were being taught within the doors. Mm. The false teachings of false teachers were turning people into apostates. Again, sound like today at all? Yeah. How many people today are publicly announcing that they're leaving the faith and point to things they've been taught in church as a reason for that? Now, for sure, some are simply saying they don't agree with what the Bible says. But how many, how many have been exposed to false doctrine 
outside the Bible and are either following that out the door or are responding to doctrine outside the Bible that they've heard in their own churches and then they're fleeing the church in general. Paul is calling Timothy's attention to this and saying, we knew this was coming. People are going to leave the faith. And when they leave, they're going to follow false doctrine. Paul says it this way at the end of the verse, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Their departing will be accomplished as they devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Insertion. Paul and Timothy didn't have a worldwide web to contend with. Parents, your children are being exposed to every possible thought pattern that you can imagine through social media. Social media is not the devil. It's not the Antichrist. But doggone it, if we don't wake up and realize the influences that are pouring into our kids' lives through screens. We can't sit with our head in the sand and act like it doesn't matter. That's free stuff there. I didn't have that in the text. Because what can happen is they can hear something, plant a seed of doubt, plant a seed of, hmm, never thought about that before. And so they then begin to devote themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons and the prince of the power of the air. So this must be some awful stuff they're teaching here in Ephesus, right? I mean, watch Are you ready? This is awful. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Lord, I'd I'd take this. Give me this. (laughs) I can work with this. (laughs) i got other battles to fight. But what's going on here? Because this doesn't seem so bad, right? False doctrine of promoting abstinence from marriage and some foods. Eat this, not that. Why is that so bad? Well, let's look at these two verses together. To get a better idea. So people are leaving the faith and the doctrine they're being taught that brings them to that conclusion, Paul says, comes through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now, okay, that seems like a pretty big deal. These false teachers are insincere. That word means they're hypocrites. It literally means the acting of a stage player. Talk about Christian celebrity. These false teachers are playing a part, and what they teach is an act. Sounds like a group of guys we met in Matthew's gospel called the Pharisees, right? And Jesus wore them out, calling them hypocrites, play actors, brood of vipers, snakes, sons of the devil, doing their righteous deeds to be seen by men, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. Well, here Paul says these false teachers are peddling insincerity, and he says they're liars. You don't need a definition for liar, do you? Somebody tells lies. There you go. You're welcome. How many likes, how many follows, playing a part 
to have a platform so people will like and follow me. We're in dangerous days, people. And then he says that their consciences are seared. They're insincere, they're liars, and their consciences are seared. Now, what's that mean? Well, if you're going to make a pot roast, okay, you've got to sear that sucker. Okay? That means you turn the, the pan up on high heat, and every side that you can, you put that roast on, on the hot heat, and you make this brown, crusty stuff pop up on the roast. I lost the vernacular completely. It's all right. But what that's supposed to do is it's supposed to seal in the taste, seal in the juices. Seared. It's burnt, basically, on high heat. It's not like blackened burnt, but it's burnt. So here, for a conscience to be seared, our conscience is that internal process that tells us what's right and wrong. And that's different for everybody. Okay, There are universal truths, and we spent a lot of time when we were in Romans talking about how to accommodate somebody whose conscience is weaker. Okay, So what happens when your conscience gets seared? It gets burnt, and when something is burnt, if you seared your hand, you get rid of the nerve endings, so you can't feel anything. I've got calluses on the end of my fingers from playing guitar. I don't feel that. My wife was a waitress for years. She's got what we call waitress hands. She touches hot things that I, like, ow, I'm like a sissy. I'm like, oh, that's hot. She's like, give me that. I'll take it. Waitress hands. I guess they've been seared through handling all that hot stuff. She don't feel it. Or maybe she's just tougher than me, which I've seen her have babies. She's tougher than me. So if your conscience is seared, then what? Then you lose your ability to tell right from wrong. We become, here's a word, desensitized to evil and false doctrine. And so we can't discern what's true and what's false. And so everything seems to be all right. And these false teachers... Now teach doctrines of men, doctrines that they deem to be right or good. It's fine. It's not a problem. It's no big deal. It's okay. And they end up promoting themselves and not the Word of God. Teaching doctrines of men, which are really doctrines of demons. Paul shares that here in Ephesus, these particular teachers were forbidding marriage and saying that people had to abstain from certain foods. Again, why is this so bad? Well, remember, these guys here in Ephesus, these false teachers, had turned to a Jewish law bent and a genealogy bent and a dissension and argument bent. And this sounds like they've been digging through Leviticus Telling people who can get married and what splits the hooves and chews the cud in order to be righteous. They have no sense of right or wrong. They just like to act holy by deprivation. Oh boy, let's go there for a minute. If you're going to follow God, you can't blank. If you're going to be holy, you surely can't blank. I don't drink or chew or dance or run with those who do. So if you're going to be holy, neither can you. The Jewish law shows this, of course. What you can eat, what you can't eat. There are some people who shouldn't get married. 
And so they twist it in their, to their advantage to match their narrative. Now, you think God's okay with that? You think Paul's okay with that? Are you okay with that? God created marriage. God created food so that we would enjoy food. God created marriage so we could enjoy marriage and thank and praise Him for them. It's funny that 2,000 years ago, marriage was under attack, right? It's not unique to our time. But these false teachers are working to get themselves praised and saying others should do the same. And they're doing it in God's name under the authority of God's word, they say. And it's false. It's wrong. It's a lie. And God is neither pleased nor praised because of it. The insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, not the pure teachings of the sovereign one that leads to the glory of God and the good of those who glorify So, yeah, this is a big deal. Like what we see in verses 4 and 5. For everything created by God is good. Wow. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Man, we could spend a couple years here. Paul takes us back to Genesis, which is such a tendency of the gospel writers, of the epistle writers. Go back to the original design when he says that everything created by God is good. What did God say at the end of creation? He saw that it was good. He saw that it was very good. Including marriage and the food. Genesis one twenty nine. God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit you shall have them for food. Except for one, right? Don't touch that one. And that was good. Everybody was a vegetarian. Everybody's like, aha, I knew it. Just stay with me. After the flood... God gave animals for food too, Genesis 9.3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. This was a new thing after the flood. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. And then in the early part of the Exodus, God gave dietary restrictions for national Israel. But Jesus declared all foods clean. We saw that in Matthew, right? 15, 17 to 18. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Not what you eat. This is echoed in Mark 7. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that what, whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile them? Now he's talking about eating with unwashed hands, but watch the principle. Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. An insertion there. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person, not food. Paul would point this out in a different way to the Corinthians, adding a connection between food and thankfulness, which is what we saw back in 1 Timothy when he said this in 1 Corinthians 10. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? 
So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So in all of that, prohibiting certain foods or drinks, uh uh-oh, may look like a way to show your holiness, but really it's just missing potential blessings and potential glory to God. Paul said in our 1 Timothy passage that everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So listen to this principle, y'all. Back up, bug. Not that. If you can partake of something and thank God for it, it's good. Now that rules out gluttony. That rules out drunkenness. As the Bible clearly prohibits these things, God, thank you that I'm a glutton. You can't say that. It doesn't work. It's not right. And you can't rightly thank God for sin. But if you can take something, hold it up, look at it, and thank God for it. See its blessing in light of the Word of God and pray to God in praise and thanks for it, then do it. You're like, but I've always heard I can't this, I can't that. I'm saying, forget, forget me. I retract that statement. The scripture says you can. Now, I don't want to lessen the effect of that by adding addendums to it. And you do have to be careful. But make sure that your goal is the glory of God, enjoying something for your good and for His glory. And if you can enjoy something for your good and for His glory, then by all means, do it. It looks very spiritual to say, thou shalt not. And Paul's saying here, it's not spiritual at all. Leave that to God. God can handle that. He doesn't need you for that. He doesn't need your traditions, your play acting, your restrictions that make you look so holy. What God's after is glory. And if you can glorify him by sitting down to a good bowl of my chili, then by all means, please do it. Not today, I didn't bring any, sorry. Now, don't overdo it. We're people of excess, right? Praise God, this is good. No, you can't do that. And again, I don't want to subtract from the bigness of this by adding these inhibitions, prohibitions. But... If you can take something and thank God for it, see its blessing in light of the word of God and pray to God and praise and thanks for it, then do it. Yes, do it and praise and thank God for it. And that thing, that food, that drink, that marriage is holy. And holy things please God, don't they? And your holiness is bound up in what you do and don't do. Your holiness is bound up in I devote this thing to God. What I think, what I feel, what I do, what I eat, what I drink. 
God, it's all for you and for your glory. And I thank you for it. Man, I'm thankful for a good night's sleep. It's good. I'm thankful for my marriage. It's good. I'm thankful for good food, good drink. It's good. And it's holy. And God is pleased and glorified because of it. And that's the goal. That's the end of the passage. But boy, howdy, are we going to look at some application today. Three D's. Debunk, which is my favorite one. Debunk. That does not mean to get out of a bunk bed, by the way. We'll get that in a second. Or when your, when your older sibling finally moves out and you don't have to sleep in a bunk bed anymore, you're not debunk. Debunk? Lily's going, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, Lily. Debunk. Deconstruct and devote. Debunk, deconstruct, and devote. Get out, devote. That's not it either, being silly. Debunk, deconstruct, and devote. First, debunk. It's not enough to know that there's false doctrine out there. Because there is. Everybody's like, yeah, I know it is. I'm here to say this morning, from what Paul is saying to Timothy, from what the rest of the scripture says, it is our job to not only not partake of the deeds of darkness, Paul would say to the Ephesians, oddly enough, but to expose them. Debunk them. It's important to know what's wrong. It's important to know when somebody's teaching and going, hmm, wow. That, that's not hitting me right. I don't know about that. Now, sometimes you may come around the corner and you've thought about it and you've researched it and you've prayed and you've listened and you're like, no, that is right. But sometimes you're going, something's just off here. And you know what it is? It's that hissing sound. Did God really say? I don't know. Did he? I don't know. It sure don't feel right. Ooh. Watch out. Sure sounds mean. The insincerity of liars. Well, that sounds mean, Paul. Paul's like, debunk that junk. That's the theme of the message today. Debunk that junk. Write that down. It's not enough to just say, oh, that's false doctrine, I think. We've got to know what the false doctrine is. We've got to expose it, and we've got to tell people why it's wrong. Especially these don't taste, touch, feel, higher spirituality, sensuality people. Which is what we're immersed in in our culture. John says it this way, so don't don't just take Paul's word for it. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, he says in the first century. By this, now you want to start somewhere? Here we go. By this you know the Spirit of God. Here's the first litmus test that you start with. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
I go, well, that's pretty easy, right? Yeah, I believe Jesus was a real person. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So what's the application here? Start with Jesus. What is this false teacher? What is this false doctrine really about? What is this person's opinion, thought, feelings about Jesus? Was he the Christ? The son of the living God? Was he God in the flesh? Did he come to pay the substitutionary atonement price for my sins and for your sins? Well, I wouldn't go that far. Then they're not from us. They're not of us. Start with Christ. Because some people say, I believe Jesus existed. Not good enough. I believe Jesus was a real man. Not good enough. I believe Jesus was a great teacher. Not good enough. Well, I don't think he was God. Not good enough. I think he might have been a divine person. Not good enough. Angels could be considered divine. Start with Jesus. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So therefore when somebody says, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm not a little Christ. Run. Flee. Don't devote yourself to them. We'll get to devote in a minute. Debunk that junk. And I won't say that anymore. Start with Jesus. We're going to spend a little bit of time here, by the way, in debunk. 2 Corinthians 11, 12 to 15. Paul says this, And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim." of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. It's no wonder people are leaving the faith. Because they're devils. So Paul says, I will continue to work in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. He says, the heck they do. They're working from a demonic front. We're working from a holy front. Now listen, let me stop for just a second. Does that sound hateful? Everybody's like, yes. <laughs> Does it feel yucky? How you feeling this morning, Alistair Begg said. We're going to get to this in a minute and I'll, well, let me just go ahead and go there. 
Watch out for sensuality. And I'm not talking about sexual sensuality. Oh, we have an overgrown emotional gland in our day. And if something feels wrong, it must be wrong. That feels mean. And I I don't mean to take that tone. And I'm sorry for that. I will continue to do what I'm doing in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are, listen, we have got to, in our debunking, call people false apostles. We've got to call them deceitful workmen. We've got to tell them they're disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. We've got to tell them that they're working for Satan and doing the same thing that Satan does. Why? Because that's love. You can't play in the road, kids. That's not smart. You're smarter than that. Don't play in the road. You could get hurt. People get killed in the road. So get out of the road. If Satan does it and these people are doing it, then get out of the way. Don't play there. Don't read there. Don't listen there. Don't watch there. Get out of the road. Because those old scratch is going to get you. And if that sounds mean, I don't, I don't know what else to do. We'll get to that in a minute too. Watch out for arrogance in what these people are saying. If my conscience is seared, I'm a law unto myself. In other words, I'm my own God. Nobody can tell me what I need to believe. Watch out for those people. Watch out for people that say, well, God said to me... Or God didn't say that. Or God didn't mean that when he said that. Watch out for those people. Watch out for those statements. I quoted this, I put this up on Facebook the other day. The words I feel have replaced God said in every area of human life, Virgil Walker said. Listen, your feelings are going to get accosted. Your feelings are going to get hurt. In your pursuit of the truth. And we got to deal with that. I don't know how many times you've come across a, a passage of scripture that made you go, yuck, oh man. I don't like that. If I don't like it, guess who's got to be corrected? Not the Bible. Or how about this? I don't get it. I don't understand it. People don't talk about there being contradictions in the Bible. Fooey, they don't. Be careful of those people. Debunk what they're saying. I hope, I hope every single person in this auditorium, within the sound of my voice out on the World Wide Web, hears me say with passion... Let's confront those seeming contradictions. Let's address them. Let's not sweep them under the rug and act like they're not there. And let's faithfully, lovingly, powerfully say, God's not going to contradict himself. So what's going on here? 
You know who else you got to watch out for? The rules people. Debunk that stuff. Rules, preferences, self-determination, self-righteousness. Thou shalt not. And if you do, God's going to get you. Colossians 2. If with Christ, since with Christ, you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You can't thou shalt not enough to bring your flesh into subjection because the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh and will continue to do so until you see Jesus face to face. So if your only strategy is deprivation, you are bound to fail. I just won't. I just can't. I shouldn't. I like it. I'm going to. Oh, I shouldn't do that. I'm going to try harder to do better. If that's your strategy, you're going to fail. Because you're operating in the power of the flesh. And if somebody is saying operate in the power of the flesh to overcome all this stuff you shouldn't do, they're coming from man-made religion. And what they're peddling has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Debunk that. I'm not participating in that. I think the original intent way back when, whenever, was good. I don't want bad things in my life. But when you just try to avoid bad things, you miss the good things. And everything that God created is good, right? Watch for arrogance. Watch for God said or God didn't say that or mean that. Watch for sensuality, appealing to your feelings. Watch for rules, preferences, self-determination, self-righteousness, and debunk that. Because if not, that leads to from debunk to deconstruct. Oh man. The secular world loves to hold these people up that are deconstructing their faith. And in their mind, that proves that Christianity is not real. In my mind, it proves that it is real. We should not be surprised that some people leave the Christian faith. The Spirit has expressly said that that's going to happen. They always have and they always will. Now watch this. What do we do with these people? We dance on their spiritual graves? Joshua Harris. I knew it. That's what people say. Oh, be careful. Don't be surprised. We're to love these people. We're to pray for these people. We are to witness Christ and preach the gospel to these people as we can. And when we hear of someone who deconstructed their faith, we're not shocked and, oh, no. But we do mourn and we do grieve because that's somebody who very possibly could spend eternity in hell because they haven't trusted the gospel. They haven't believed the gospel. 
And if we can say that without a little bit of remorse and fear and trembling in our voices, something's wrong with us. If we celebrate, good, I'm glad they're gone. I didn't like what they taught anyway. Something's wrong with us. But we shouldn't look at it and go, oh no! Somebody doesn't believe anymore. We must watch ourselves knowing that the danger is and always has been there for this to happen. It happened in Ephesus in Timothy's day and it will happen until Jesus comes back. And it is historically and consistently a problem of the presence and influence of non-biblical teaching. Like what we looked at in the debunk point. Peter explains it this way. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, church, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master, getting back to Jesus, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their, here's that word, sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. That's incredibly frightening for anybody. So then what do we do? Take care, brothers, Hebrews 3. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now stop for a second. Look at those first two words. Take care. Whose job is that? It's yours. It's mine. Anybody that says, this never happened to me, you ain't paying attention. He who stands, take heed lest you fall. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But, here we go, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, now, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what I see here? When we talk about people deconstructing their faith, what's the first thing they do? They leave the church not wise. Because when you leave the church, you leave each other. But we're supposed to exhort one another. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to support, encourage, exhort one another. And if you don't have a one another to do these things with, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to be devoted to the doctrines of demons that are out there and on here. Please, please, don't leave the church. We are the pillar and buttress of the truth. Oh, so you think you're better. No, oh, no, no. I'm a sinner saved by grace. We're all sinners saved by grace. And Ken Killen says all the time, it's just one beggar showing another beggar where to find some bread. That's all we're doing. And we need each other. And the first thing you see these people say, well, I still believe in Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the church. Dangerous. Ungodly. Anti-biblical. Please don't leave the church. And I'm not saying that so that you'll be here so we can say, so-and-so didn't leave. For your own care. For your own purposes. 
I hope and pray, literally, that this is a healthy church setting. Listen to me, please. Where we, individually and collectively, can bring our doubts, our questions, our struggles, our insecurities, and our sins to each other. Don't sit there in silence. Don't sit there and say, they're going to judge me. They're going to kick me out. They're going to make fun of me. They're not going to like me. They're going to roll their eyes at me. Mom and dad are going to get mad at me. Please don't do that. Bring that to somebody in here. And struggle through it together. In the church, we wrestle through things together in light of the biblical truth and the power of the gospel. Praise God for the people who say, I'm struggling. I got doubts. I got questions. And I don't know what to do with them because I can't find answers. We're going to love you through that. We ain't going to throw rocks at you. We're going to take you in and talk to you and pray for you and preach the gospel to you because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And as you're thinking about deconstructing your faith, oh, let's be a little bit constructive instead of deconstructive. And you can't do that apart from the church. You cannot do that apart from the church. And I I almost didn't include this next verse. But I think I have to. They went out from us, John says, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Listen, please listen to what I'm about to say. If somebody deconstructs their faith, if somebody says they're not a Christian anymore and they persist in that until they die, they will spend eternity in hell not as a lost Christian, not as a former believer. They were never born again. One of the signs, one of the sure signs of being God's person is that you fear. If they go out from us, it just goes to show that they were not of us. You're like, crud, what's that mean then if I'm wrestling with these doubts? It means bring them to us and let's talk, let's pray, let's weep, let's love, let's serve, let's care. So that you don't go out there and show that you weren't of us. I'm not talking about Providence Bible Church. I'm talking about the faith. The word is clear. If they go out from us, they never were of us. If Joshua Harris persists in his unbelief, he was never a Christian. You say, how can I know that? I can know that from this right here. He was keeping an outward form of godliness and he had not been born again. God has no miscarriages. God does not abort any new births. And what he starts, he, he finishes. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will perfect it at the day of Christ Jesus. So if you're here this morning, listening to us, whatever, and you're thinking and you're wondering, don't look to the world. Oh, there are podcasts and there are videos and there are blogs and vlogs and movies and testimonies and this and that. Don't look there. They're going to lead you astray. Get out of the road! And bring that stuff here. And let's deal with it. Beat, I love what Martin Luther said. He said he would beat importunately upon Paul. 
until he came to an understanding of what Paul meant. Instead of being turned out by Paul and not liking what Paul said as this Catholic monk, he said, I would come and I would beat importunately upon Paul. And when I finally understood what God was saying through Paul, it was like the doors of heaven opened to me. Don't look out there. Don't look on here. Look right here. Bring your deconstructive thoughts to us and let's love you through it. Beat importunately upon the word, which brings us to our last application point. Debunk, deconstruct, and devote. Don't devote your thoughts, attentions, affections on worldly spirits that are really doctrines of demons. Devote yourself to what? The scripture. You're like, you always talk about the Bible. Yes, I do. (laughs) Listen to me, church. Potential unbeliever. Unbeliever. Safe person struggling. Safe person who's not struggling. Devote your time, your attention, your affection, your reading, your listening, your watching, your speaking, your doing. Devote those things to the Bible. That's where the truth is found. We're so prone to go to somebody's interpretation of the Bible. Or we're so prone to go to the celebrity pastor to get an understanding. I'm not, there's some good things out there, but my goodness, there's a lot of bad things. So if you've got doubts, questions, fears, anxieties, worries, and they're compounding, take them to the Bible. What does the Scripture say about this stuff? Don't devote yourself to somebody's podcast to get your questions answered. Devote yourself to the Bible. Give me the book! Jeffrey Johnson said this, and I don't know who that is, by the way. I'm not, I, I saw this quote, and it was good. I'm not endorsing Jeffrey Johnson. I don't know who he is. He might be a demon. I don't know. But he got a quote. Watch out. The church stands or falls on the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. We must reject any doctrine that is not taught in Scripture. End of quote. I feel pretty good about quoting that. Not a book by an author. Not a blog or a social media post. What or who are you devoting yourself to? So many opinions in our day of social and mass media. What are you devoting yourself to? Devoting yourself to. Means giving yourself to. If you'll remember... They devoted themselves to the doctrines of demons. This is their choice. Who and what doctrine are you devoting yourself to? It matters who it is. It matters what is being taught. Not just in that one specific moment, but in the overall. We devote ourselves to our own ideas of holiness or our own preferences more often than not. But give me the book. You're like, I don't really devote myself to those teachers, but I do kind of put my foot in the water just to see. If you get your foot in the water, you're going to get wet. 
We're trying to, as elders, become more and more purposeful about what we allow to be taught here. Who do we endorse? Whose books do we listen to? Whose podcasts? Whose whatever? And I'm asking you to bring those things to us because it's our job to oversee and to set the parameters to protect the sheep as under-shepherds to Christ. And it does matter who somebody associates with. It does matter if they've got a book coming out that's like groundbreaking and new perspectives of Paul. I don't need a new perspective of Paul. I need the Bible. It matters tremendously. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It doesn't just matter for you. It matters for us. Quickly. Practice these things, Paul says. We'll look at this next week. I've never used next week's passage in application before. That's different today. Practice these things, Paul says to Timothy. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Immerse yourself. I love that. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do not do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Give me the book! Not your opinion. Not John Piper's opinion. Give me the book. I'll finish here. I mentioned 1 Timothy 4.15, but I want to close with it and I want to read the verse after it. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself. And on the teaching. Now watch this. Persist in this. Devote yourself to it. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Devote yourself to this because lives are at stake. Eternity is at stake. And if I am persisting and keeping a close watch on myself and the teaching that's coming out of my mouth, your mouth, if I persist in this, I will save both myself and my hearers. Now, nobody can save themselves. What Paul is saying is you're putting yourself in the saving graces of God and your hearers in the saving graces of God, which we see in the Scripture. And that's pretty important. Master the gospel. Master the book. Debunk the false things. Struggle with those who are wanting to deconstruct their faith. And devote yourself to the scriptures. Where we see the truth that Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh. Lived a perfect life. Died a blameless death as he took our sins upon himself. To pay the penalty for those sins. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. He came back to life. The Spirit proved that He was the Son of God by raising Him from the dead. He showed Himself alive to over 500 people and then He ascended into heaven where He is seated right now where He ever lives to intercede for those who are His. And we receive that gift of salvation by the grace of God through faith in the finished work of Christ. You're a sinner. You need salvation. And Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. Master that. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need you. We need to know what it means to master these things, to devote ourselves to them. 
And apart from your spirit doing it in and through us, we can't. We cannot and we will not. But God, would you give life, would you breathe life to those who do not know you this morning? May all of our boasts be, yet not I, but through Christ in me. God, save us from deceitful doctrines, doctrines of demons. Help us not devote ourselves to them. Help us to debunk them. May we not be those who deconstruct our faith, but may we be those who are built up in the most holy faith as we devote ourselves to Christ, who he is and what he's done. We ask it in his name. Amen. Would you stand? I'm going to read a benediction, but then I'm going to ask you to be seated because we've got somebody who's signing a membership covenant this morning. So here's the benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you be seated?